Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrosser. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I appreciate it. If you don't mind, hit that subscribe button and you'll get this podcast as soon as they come out on a weekly basis. Also, head over to disrupteducation.co. That is my personal website. You can see everything about me, all the different things that I can do, how you can connect with me, and all the different ways that we're disrupting education. I'm a proud member of the Ed Up Podcast Network, the Ed Up Experience, E-D-U-P experience.com. Head over there. You can see anything and everything innovative around education, K through 12, and post secondary education as well. A lot of great stuff there. Great people, great podcast at upexperience.com. On today's episode, I have Eric Santos. He's an educator, a trainer, a coach, and an adjunct. He's also um, the regional educational technology coordinator at the uh, Learning Technology Center in Illinois. And uh, we are in the same state, so we'll have some conversation around uh, what Illinois is doing and beyond. And also, we're going to talk a lot about you know what's happening with students and technology and how they can show value. We touch on portfolios. This is a great conversation. Hang out. Stay with us. We'll be back right after these messages. Are you an individual or business wanting to create an online course or training program but are overwhelmed with the e-learning process and don't even know where to start? If so, you don't want to miss this free masterclass called Create and Launch a Successful E-Learning Program Online Course or Virtual Training, where you will learn the biggest mistake most people make with e-learning, the number one reason most e-learning programs fail, and the three pillars to create extraordinary value for your learners every time and much more. Get instant access to the free masterclass right now by clicking on the link in the description. All you have to do is sign in and you will get instant access to this free masterclass right now. I recently asked Jake, who is a sophomore in high school, why he uses SpikeView to share his learning journey. Um, I think it's really cool that you know SpikeView is really putting that abstract into con- concrete data and knowledge and then displaying that to the outside world. And I think SpikeView is different than anything else out there. Um, like I said before, because it's really taking that, you know, the, that those abstract skill sets and those abstract experiences and putting them into data that, you know, is actually mathematic and scientific and, um, you know, that matches you up with the best programs and, um, you know, best places for you. People, um, you know, who are really trying to make those changes in the world and they're going to be using SpikeView because SpikeView is that app where you can, you know, take, take those experiences and take those passions and put them out there. Um, and share with other people. And that's, you know, that's really powerful. And that, you know, that professional networking piece, um, you know, to be with other like-minded teenagers, that puts you ahead. That puts you ahead in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, I think anyone who uses Spike View right now has a leg up in the future and excited to see, you know, where those Spike View alumni head up. Head to spikeview.com. Start your portfolio now for free. The Disrupt Education vlog can be found on YouTube. To hear it in podcast form, search Disrupt Education on any of the following podcast platforms. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or Stitcher.
Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrosser. Thanks so much for being here. I've got a great guest today. He is the Regional Educational Technology Coordinator at the Learning Technology Center of Illinois. There's a lot of technology in that. Uh, and I have uh, Eric Santos here. Eric, thanks so much for being here, man. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, that was a lot of technology and centers. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do uh, these days around, well, let's just say technology. Sure. Let me see if I can throw as many buzzwords at you at once as I can. Um, so again, I work for the uh, Learning Technology Center of Illinois, LTC for short. Uh, we're an Illinois State Board of Education program that supports uh, public pre-K through 12 district schools, educators throughout the state. Um, so we support all kinds of technology initiatives, services, professional learning. We do network and technology infrastructure, student data security and safety, tech equity and access. Um, and my role as the regional ed tech coordinator um, is to provide professional development, to provide support, uh, to do networking meetings where tech folks can get together and just talk about what's going on in their area. Um, and so the state of Illinois, uh, the LTC basically divided up into five areas. And so there's five of us um, in my area that I cover is Chicagoland. So I can provide support to Cook County, Lake County, DuPage, Grundy, Kendall, Kane, and Will County. Um, so examples of things that I'm currently working on, um, I'll be out at a district pretty soon teaching all of their administrative assistants how to transition from Microsoft Office over to a Google uh, environment. Um, I'm doing some virtual workshops about what's new in Google, um, how to how to best declutter your digital life. So how to how to use all the tools to to kind of become more productive and focus in on and getting things done every day. Um, and you know our team presents at conferences throughout the state as well, and uh, diverse topics from any any kind of ed tech software, uh, SAMR if you're familiar, uh, coding, 3D printing, drones, virtual reality, all that fun stuff. Uh, so that's a little bit about what we do at the Learning Tech Center. Got to throw a shout out to Samer, dude. I love, I love the, like, it's just so, for a business educator like myself, it's just perfect. It's like, let's make these things real. Um, yeah, so we're, uh, you're probably pretty busy. Uh, and uh, administrators are uh, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, obviously, big shift going on. Um, and we'll unpack that uh, actually a little bit more uh, later when we start talking about you know disrupting education obviously there's a huge disruption starting march 13th 2020 um but uh let's dig in um you know what what kind of path does a person like you have in education uh, how, how did you get to this point and we can talk about basically you know k through 12 k through 16 k through masters all these different things uh, and then outside of education as well um Let's unpack that first. How, how was Eric as a student? <laughs> you really want to know? We can get some of my old high school teachers in here and they'll tell you the real deal. That would be um, awesome, by the way. <laughs> right? <laughs> Scary and awesome, depending who we asked. Um, so just a little background. I've been in uh, public education for 15 years. Um, previous to that, I, was, uh, I actually went to school to be, a, uh, to be a business student and found myself in corporate America um, and then made the change. But I'll get back to that. You asked me about how I was as a student. So I was a high achieving student in the sense that I was a great test taker. Um, I knew how to get the grades and, and gather up the points I needed to get what I, you know, the, the grade that I wanted. Um, but I found myself in college and career kind of unprepared for what I really needed. Um, I was good at the game of school. Um, and so what I found as I got older and school got harder was that I needed a lot more experience with real world, you know, um, completing projects, collaborating with others, 
you know, dealing with adversity, having meaningful conversations. These were things that I wasn't as skilled at. Um, and I found that I was good at school, but needed to be better at life. Um, and so I think that just general experience throughout school stuck with me when I got into education. Um, I do remember being pretty bored in school, starting in about seventh grade through high school and started to act out. Um, but there's a few things that I do remember. And I, I want to kind of talk about what I remember from school because it really impacted who I became as an educator. Um, I remember in eighth grade, we had to do a project where we planned a trip somewhere in the world. Um, and I picked Italy. And now, so what would probably be done in two class periods today with the magic of Google, right? You know, this was like a weeks long project of calling travel agents who didn't want to hear from this kid that wasn't about to buy anything, but had all these questions, right? I remember going to the library and, and looking through actual books and getting information, putting on note cards. I mean, this was intense, uh, but it was so exciting because, you know, my, my mother's side of the family is from Italy. And so it was a very meaningful project to me and to have all the details I needed to like do this real life thing that I could actually do as an adult if I wanted was really cool. Um, another project that was similar that stuck out in my mind was um, I, I managed to get into an AP history course in, in high school. And as a side note, I had no business there. Uh, <laughs> I'll get back to that. But one of the things I remember was the teacher allowed us to do a project about our family history. Again, this fascinated me. He introduced this brand new technology called, I think it was called Hyper Studio, which was new at the time, right? And this was like essentially Google Slides with some animations built in, right? But it was cutting edge stuff. And so I was just excited about doing all this research into my family, sharing their journey from Italy to the United States, using this technology to do all these cool animations and, and present it in front of the class. Um, I struggled a lot in that class because we were reading um, Howard Zinn, The People's History, which is a great book to be reading. I wasn't ready to read and process and have the conversations um, that he was asking at that moment in my life. Again, missing some of those key skills, but able to, you know, do well on tests. It, it didn't fit, but I did get a lot out of hearing what other people were saying. But at any rate, this this project was meaningful to me. And the third one that stood out that I remember really well uh, was a physics teacher. We did this projectile lab. He was going to drop something directly down, and we had to design some projectile shooter that was going to shoot at the exact right um, velocity and angle and speed to hit the, the object as it fell down. So essentially this, this teacher created angry birds, right? Like that's what we were basically doing was angry birds before it was a thing. Um, but it was engaging to me. Like we had a task. I got to shoot things across the classroom with permission this time. Like it was amazing. So I think the reason I bring those up and why those impacted me as a teacher is, um, they had a couple of qualities that I think are important to the school experience. They were authentic to me. They were meaningful. You know, outside of those four walls, they had a meaning that I was invested in. They were open-ended. It wasn't something that had a fill-in-the-blank answer. It was something that I had to come up with the answer to. Um, there was an end goal. There was some tangible thing I was creating, and it was either hands-on or uh, another important aspect is it had a public audience, right? Everyone was going to see me attempt to shoot this projectile. We would get out there and did this with the other classes that were working on this also. Uh, my, my family presentation was something I was presenting to the class. Um, so that public audience is an important part of taking a project from just a basic project to like a real project-based learning uh, experience. And there was also an emotional component. Um, and I think that's important because I also, I teach, uh, I adjunct at a couple of different universities, both Dominican uh, University and National Lewis University. And I teach math, math methods courses and science teaching methods courses. And the first discussion question we have is, what do you remember 
about either math or science, right? What's a learning experience you remember? And without fail, I can collect all their responses and show the majority of them have some emotional component to it. And that's why they remember it. It could be a good emotion. Like I won this award that, you know, maybe was meaningless outside of that class, but they remember winning it. Um, or we did this really fun project. Um, or I was disgusted by this, uh, by having to dissect something. I remember it, it was cool, but I remember being so disgusted by the smell, you know? So there's that emotional reaction to it, but it's, it's what stuck with them. Um, and so for me, those student experiences are what kind of colored my goals as a teacher. And I feel like this is a commercial for project-based learning and it totally is. As you're talking about the math experience, like I'm thinking right away, I had a geometry teacher and I remember, you know, how we measured things just not by actually throwing up uh, a measuring tool against it, like towers and things like that. And I remember that's how I learned how to, you know, figure out angles. Um, I wish I had that physics class, bro. <laughs> like I would have been, that sounded awesome. Um, and so now um, you have moved into like helping others um, and teach others, helping teachers even uh, educate others um, in very unique ways with experiences. Um, and it, obviously technology is a huge part of that. It's something that, um, you know, we've really taken a look at, um, especially over the last year. But even beforehand, you know, there's been a lot of uh, really cool things out there, um, you know, Back in my day, I, I do remember the robotic arm and creating an if-then um, tic-tac-toe game that the code was like 75 pages long for what I remember uh, just to play it. Um, and so, you know, tell, tell us a little bit more about like how is that, how are we, how are you, what are the, over the last year, and I know you're kind of new at the position you're in, but, but you've been around it for a while. What are some of the, what are some of the things that you've seen change and, and for a good disruption, if you will, over the last year since year and a half since uh, that fateful day in March? The tricky thing with that is that there are some places where things have gotten really good and there are some places where we missed some opportunities. Okay. And I feel like the pandemic, you know, first I'll talk about the missed opportunities. I think the initial response to it was let's try to recreate everything we did in school just digitally now. And I think, you know, and again, this is not to point the finger or, or nobody knew what was going on or how long any of this was going to last. So we were all just trying to keep up and keep our heads above water. But I think there was missed opportunity to say, let's rethink what school looks like and let's rethink um, what a school day looks like. What does in-person time mean? What's the value of being together versus, you know, asynchronous work? Um, so I think some of that was missed in the, in the push to try and recreate what we were already doing. Um, I think some of the positive that came out of that is that the base level of expectation of technology just quickly rised up, right? Like teachers were expected to do certain things because without it, without the computer, there wasn't school in a lot of places, right? It didn't exist. Um, I think students were expected to have a certain level of technology and really um, just general self-sufficiency, right? Being able to follow a schedule without a bell ringing, without somebody hurting you along to the next class. Um, knowing that, you know, even though I'm only seeing you through a screen, this whole thing is real. Like if you don't turn in your work, you know, something happens on the other end. Um, I think what else is important is uh, one of my favorite phrases to say to the teachers that I coach, because I was an instructional coach for four years. Um, and part of that during the pandemic, um, was I would always say, if you had to sell a ticket to your class, would anybody buy one? Um, and I think during the pandemic that became a huge 
phrase because kids could literally click the end button and leave your class. And if they didn't have a parent at home that you can contact, which some of them didn't, some of them were at home on their own. And so in some cases, two, three, four kids in a house all on the Zoom, a kid could log off and you've lost them. Um, and so, it, you know, it did put pressure on teachers, I think, to draw kids in. And I think if there's anything that I'm hoping uh, sticks around, one of them is the idea that we want kids to want to be there. Like we've got to sell that ticket to the classroom. That's a great point. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm a business educator, so it's pretty easy for me to do that. I'll be honest, just put a dollar sign around it. Right. And all of a sudden everybody knows, you know, Hey, wait, uh, or you, you know, mention cryptocurrency or anything like that. Kids are, kids are jumping in. Um, However, there's awesome things going on in science, math, English. Um, I remember those projects. Again, my head is still going on those projects that uh, you were mentioning. Um, and those are tough things to do, um, especially digitally. Um, and so if, if in a perfect world, and it's okay. I like that you, you said missed opportunities because I, we need those, right? We need the, to learn from them. That's how you learn. If we did everything perfect, well, then, yeah, you know. Um, but there's so many different scenarios. Now, you're, it, let's talk about Illinois here for a moment. Um, very different areas. Now, you're in a, you're in a city, uh, urban, suburban area. Um, obviously, there are rural areas uh, across the state of Illinois um, and maybe some smaller kind of, you know, we talk about like Champaign and, and Kankakee um, and, and all these different towns. What are some of the differences that you're seeing um, throughout you know, technology or, you know, the struggles that, uh, and some of the, uh, the, the best parts that, that are really starting to change across Illinois in different, I mean, we have everything here. <laughs> so you want to talk about diversity. It's, it's this entire state, although we are pretty segregated when it comes to that, but there are different areas where we can learn from each other. What kind of things have you seen? Um, just even in your area, which is a massive area, when you talk about Cook, Will, Grundy, all the um, DuPage County, um, what kind of what kind of learning differences have you seen start to evolve out of there, and maybe some of the needs that we need to probably take a look at, technology or not, in education? Yeah. So in terms of some of the things that have changed across the board, as you mentioned, I think access obviously had to get ramped up quickly. Um, you know, the, the districts that I've been at have all been one-to-one -one districts in various stages. Um, and, la the, you know, the last year, the last district I was at, they had been, I think, in year six of their one-to-one -one initiative. But there were several districts that didn't have one-to-one uh, -one computers until the pandemic. And here they are rolling them out last minute. Um, and so we've got a combination of, you know, how do we roll these out? But also, like, there's not a lot of room for, um, for things to not go well. Because if you're rolling out laptops, you know, to a school that's in person, well, things don't go well, we can put that to us to the side and get back to school. But in this case, you know, they got to be working because we got to go to school on this laptop. So I think in that sense, the positive thing is that access has started to become a little more equitable. Um, a lot of schools um, took advantage of some of the funds that were available to start providing Wi Fi access to students that otherwise may not have had it at home. And I think we've gotten to a point where I personally feel that Wi Fi, you know, high quality Wi-Fi access and computer access is no longer like a luxury. It is a basic, you know, expectation. I mean, it's like, it's almost like, you know, indoor plumbing and air conditioning. If you don't have that, you're, you're more than just inconvenienced. You're, you're in danger of falling behind. Um, so I think that's been important. Um, in general, what I can say is that um, 
I think there's a growing trend towards, I can talk about my last district as they were transitioning into a standards-based learning format. And I think whether a district is going full standards-based um, or just kind of taking on some of the flavors of it, I think there's more of a push to get away from some of the traditional grading practices. Um, and I think if there's any one thing I would change in education, it would be how we measure success, specifically with grading. Um, I think there's a lot more push for students to, to demonstrate skills, to demonstrate their ability to understand material rather than to do school well. Because um, like I mentioned, I was that kid that did school well. There are plenty of kids that aren't good at school, but they can be super successful if you set them up in the right kind of environment and give them the right tasks. Um, when you talk about SAMR, and for anybody who's not familiar, SAMR is a, a model of technology integration, right? So the S and the A are substitution and augmentation. And that's basically taking a task and replicating it digitally, right? So instead of, instead of writing a paper, a kid's typing it on Google Doc, maybe with some spell check and stuff like that, right? But the M and the R, modification and redefinition, that's where you're changing the task completely and you're redefining what they're even being asked to do and doing it in a way that they couldn't without technology. And so what I've seen is a lot more push for some of that. Um, so instead of a kid writing a paper, now they're doing a podcast and now it's something that their peers and their parents and the community can hear because it's shared publicly. Um, and so they're getting those speaking skills as well as just the research and writing skills, right? Um, so just kind of redefining what, what kids are doing and what school really means. I think that's a push we're seeing um, with a lot more, you know, STEM has been around for a while and, and coding is catching on. And uh, the idea of students being producers of information and producers of content instead of just consumers of content. Um, I think that's a good positive trend that we can hopefully continue building on. What kind of uh, platforms do you see being used for those? Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer and I, we've had this conversation before of, yeah, you have grades, you have test scores, um, GPAs, all these things, um, but also value-based portfolios and, and things. I think one of the things, the trends that I've seen in the last two schools that I've been at are, you know, there's these profiles of a graduate or these pillars of a graduate. Um, how do we show those things through technology? You mentioned podcasts. Are there some other ways like you, you've seen or that you would hope to see? Um, graduates have building in public. And I'm going to borrow that from Dr. Stacy uh, Gonzalez, who is uh, an awesome person who uh, just left STAG. But um, she, we had that conversation. She said, because students need to build in public, which is exactly what you're saying. What kind of ways uh, can we extend that building in public? Yeah, you know, I think it starts with the attitude that we want students to have a portfolio of work. Um, and so just to kind of divert a bit, you mentioned GPAs, you mentioned a portfolio. This was a big thing in transitioning to standards-based grading because um, when, we, when we took away points for everything and we took away traditional grades on a four-point scale and averaging those out to a GPA, a lot of dominoes started to fall. You know, well, how do we find a, a valedictorian? How do we find, uh, how do we define honor roll? How do we define um, who's eligible for sports and whatnot. And so your standard for what success looks like starts to change a little bit and, and it has to be rethought. And a portfolio is such a strong way of doing that. Um, I think in a perfect world, it would be great uh, because one of those dominoes that falls is then, well, GPA for high school and, and then GPA for college acceptance. And wouldn't it be great if colleges you know, had the capacity to accept high school portfolios and interviews and uh, something that gives a more dynamic view of who that student is rather than just looking at a GPA or an ACT and SAT score. And I think there are some forward thinking schools that are doing that. Um, 
And I think it just gives for a richer experience. And I think there's some research out there that starts to show that those make for better workers and more productive people and, and more creative people, you know, when you actually look at their full body of work. So how do you do that with technology? You really could do it a number of ways. Like with anything, there's many ways to do anything with technology. You can simply have a set of Google Slides students are keeping track of. They can keep it all in a, a set of Google Drive folders. Um, but there are some really good tools out there that are designed just for this. So one that comes to mind is Seesaw. Um, it's a really good tool that lets kids uh, turn in work in any format they want. They can write, they could voice record, they could video record, take pictures. Um, and it's kind of nicely set up to be designed to be an ongoing portfolio that follows them through school. Um, you know, there's another one I don't have experience with, but I know of it's called Fresh Grade. Um, and it was great for uh, teachers who are trying to move away from a maybe more of a points and uh, grade based system and more of a feedback system where, you know, you snap pictures of work and you're able to have a conversation with kids about their work. Um, I used Google Sites when I was in the classroom when I first was trying out a portfolio. I had students create a portfolio on sites. They created a website. They had a page for each of the standards we were hitting. And then they had to every week and it got to be, a, a, it, it does take a time investment. I'm not going to lie, but they had to take a picture of their best work from the week or the last two weeks and do a short reflection and post it there. And then over time, they're building this portfolio. Um, it could be done in Padlet. Padlet is kind of like a, a digital bulletin board where they can post work. Um, so I think which tech tool you choose is more dependent on what is it that you want to get out of it. And then really an aspect of how, how much time can I invest and how streamlined do I need to make this process in order to make it feasible in my classroom? There's so many. I mean, I'm thinking of Spike View. I'm thinking of all these others as well um, where they're emerging. Um, how do we get out of the way of students? That's a great question. Um, there's a couple of things. Again, reconsidering your metrics for success. I think one of the challenges that teachers will say that they run into is, yeah, but I have expectations from my administrators. Um, you know, they, we've got test scores that we've got to get these kids ready for. I don't have time to do this project. I don't have time to let them choose their format of presenting. I need to get it. I need to get it done. And they're on this pacing schedule. Um, and I get that. So I think one of the things is for, and I will say even for administrators to look at, again, what are you using as a metric for success? You know, are you giving teachers the freedom to be off of that pacing schedule a bit? Are you valuing the creations that students make or the aha moments that they have? You know, it's interesting because if you go to most school websites, what do they have as pictures on the front? They have kids doing active learning, right? They're launching a rocket or they're outside building something. They're planting plants. But when you go into a staff meeting, what are we talking about? It's a lot of times test scores. It's a lot of times things around compliance. And those can be important, but there's a bit of dissonance there. And, I, and you have to ask, so, so why? All right. So I'm a, I was a basketball coach for like eight years. And one of the things that I really believed as a coach was whatever you monitor and make time for and reward is what gets done. If you want kids to value boxing out and rebounding, if you want them to set good screens, if you want them to dive for a loose ball, and you don't practice that in practice, and you don't track how many times each kid does it, you don't give a reward or a, you know a, whatever it is uh, to uh, as a positive reward for that student for doing those things, they're not going to value it come game time, right? They're going to worry about who's scoring the most points. And I think the same applies to the messages we send to teachers, you know we have to find ways to tell them and show them and, and encourage them that we value you doing more creative projects with your students. There's, you know, there's freedom for you to do the things that get kids excited. And I think that's a tough, you know, everybody's got a boss, everybody's got someone they've got to please, right? And so it can be a tough sell. 
Um, but, you know, I, I remember experiencing and, and I had a really good principal at my last school that, that literally said that, like, it's OK if you don't get to all the content. I want teachers to know it's fine. I'd rather you go deeper rather than broader. And I'd rather you spend time getting kids engaged and doing the big fun stuff, too. But even teachers had a hard time breaking that mindset. They heard him say it. They knew he meant it. But they're like, yeah, but I know that the, the you know, the state tests are coming up and I've got to get through this content or they'll be missing this. Um, so I think it's tough. Um, I think you also have to accept that the value of going through a big project with students um, is worth it. It's worth the extra time. And sometimes they have to see that for themselves and they have to take a chance and do something. I'll give you a few examples. Um, and because, you know, I don't want to scare people into thinking they have to take on huge challenges, right? It can be little shifts. Um, I, I had to teach as a science teacher a unit on soil. And I, when I saw this, I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to teach soil for six weeks, right? Um, and it was about, you know, and the kids were following this textbook-based scenario with this, some kid named Chris whose garden wouldn't grow anything. And I knew from the first lesson, these kids were not buying it. They knew Chris wasn't real. They couldn't care less about his garden, right? So I was losing him. So we redesigned that and turned it into a lesson on food deserts, right? Why is it there are no grocery stores in certain neighborhoods within a certain radius, Um why is it that people don't know how to sustain themselves on their own food? They have to, you know, and we went into the whole environmental impact of food distribution. And so then they got hooked and it was a problem for them to solve this idea of food deserts. Okay, well, we can create a community garden to help solve that. They watched a TED talk about a guy who did just that in the Bronx, right? Okay, well, can we do that here? Yeah, but here's what you need to know about soil in order for us to do this successfully. So now they're bought in and now they're willing to do some of the lessons and the experiments and soil is suddenly interesting because they're an end product that solves a bigger problem. Um, so to circle back and like directly answer your question, which is what can teachers do? Look at your curriculum, find what are the meaningful problems that your curriculum can lead students to help solve and start there. It's that golden circle where you start with the why, like why should anyone care and keep asking yourself why, why, why until you get to the big community-based idea and start students there and then start investing them into a project that solves that and then layer in all of your different lessons that, that build them up to that. Simon Sinek right there, man. Start with why. I mean, it, it is it is so true, especially in the high school uh, age, because, you know, we know the studies, the drop offs, the, the kids are not not intelligent. They're mostly bored and it, you have to attach it to them. I Man, just a plethora of great information there. Eric, I want to give you a, a chance to um, kind of uh, tell people how they can connect with the uh, Learning Technology Center of Illinois and even you uh, yourself, even if they're outside of Illinois, to maybe, uh, you know, chat a little bit more about uh, all these innovative ways uh, that we're looking at um, the transition of technology. So how, how can people connect with uh, your organization and you as well? Yeah, the quickest ways are just to go to our website, ltcillinois.org. And if you go there, you can find contact information for myself and everyone else there. You can see the events that we're holding and a lot more about what we do. Um, for myself individually, probably Twitter is the quickest way to, to connect with me and to uh, reach out to me. It's uh, Santos EdTech is my, uh, my Twitter handle, so you can reach out to me there. Definitely put all those up in the notes down below as well. Um, I want to thank you so much for just sharing your journey, sharing uh, some awesome information. It's it it really is awesome that that I know I say awesome a lot because I'm excited, but Illinois is like 
what you're doing for technology, um, not only for just educators, but for administrators and, and across the board. We, we need each other. We need this help. Um, and again, I urge any of my listeners in Illinois, um, you got to go to that site. They, they have some tremendous things. Eric will guide you through, uh, especially some of the technology pieces. But, uh, um, you know, amazing, amazing things uh, coming through that I didn't even know about until we met. So um, I appreciate you and thank you so much for sharing everything today. Thank you for having me. This was a great time. And thank you all for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe and let me know if you have any questions about disrupting education. Leave a comment down below. We'll talk to you next time on Disrupt Education. Uh-huh.